You are now listening to Asking for a Friend with Talk Doc, sharing insights through real, honest, and practical ways to improve your communication and relationships. Featuring your hosts, Dr. Pamela Kreiser, Meredith Edwards, and Taylor Polendo. Carol Dweck once said, Mindset change is not about picking up a few pointers here and there. It's about seeing things in a new way. When people change to a growth mindset, they can change from a judge and be judged framework to a learn and help learn framework. Their commitment is to growth and growth takes plenty of time, effort, and mutual support. In today's episode, we talk about mindset and self-talk. Listen to our interview with life coach, Jamal Javanji, as he gives us insight into the narratives we tell ourselves and how to reshape them. It's nice to meet you, Jamal. Welcome to our podcast. We are excited to have you here with us, and we're excited for a couple of reasons. One is you're our first male guest, so you represent all of men. Oh, yeah. <laughs> wow, that's fantastic. So no yeah. there. Okay, and then the second is what I've heard about you is that you are someone who aligns with our viewpoint on this podcast, which is trading comfort for growth. And what I've read about and heard about you is that you really embrace that, what we call the TC4G or the trading comfort for growth concept. I want to welcome you to our podcast. Let's start by asking you who you are and what you do. First of all, I'm so happy to represent the male gender on the podcast. That's fantastic. So thank you for having me on trading comfort for growth. There's a lot we can say about that. Yeah. So I love that concept. So I might put it this way. I have traded my comfort for growth, but now I experience more comfort because I'm not limited by lesser forms of comfort that attach me to limited expressions of my comfort, which, because there's always greater measures of it, you know, so definitely have traded up, but I love that. You know, how would I define myself? Well, my name is Jamal Javanji. I'm original. I would say this, I'm a Buckeye fan <clears throat> because I'm from Ohio. And so <laughs> my man would like that. Yes. Oh, do you know some Buckeye fans? My husband's from Ohio. <laughs> Where in Ohio? Cleveland. Okay. Is he a Buckeye? Does he claim to be an Ohio State fan? I mean, I hear a lot of O-H-I-O oh, in my... Yes, that... There we go. <laughs> That's all we need to know. So yes, I am a Buckeye fan, born and raised out there. I have done a number of things throughout my life, but I'm currently uh, been, been an author and I'm also okay. uh, working uh, as a life coach. I live in the mountains here in Southern California just above Crestline, just a little bit above Crestline. Uh, I'm a father, okay. I have a daughter, and I'm also a grandfather. Yeah, a lot of things. Two things I didn't know about you. I didn't know you were a grandfather, and I didn't know you were from Ohio. Really? Oh, fantastic. So tell us who you life coach. Uh, you know, I, it would be really hard to put them in a certain category, just because I work with all different kinds of people. Some coaches have a certain niche. I don't. I uh, work with anybody and, uh, and everybody just all depends. Uh, we end up doing the same thing, no matter what it is. <laughs> everybody comes to me for different reasons, but we end up doing the same thing. I, I do coach uh, just all kinds of people. And I have a goal that would be that the people I work with would learn how to experience their life. My understanding of life is that when you begin to experience life, you move out of states of suffering and into states of bliss and peace and greater measures of contentment. Just It gives you the ability to just enjoy your life. And that may look different for, for different people. But my understanding is that suffering is not a part of life. It's optional. Suffering is optional. Pain is a part of life. It's inevitable that suffering is a choice. Most people don't know that. And so we just learn how to get conscious about that and move out of su states of suffering. So that's kind of who I work with people who just don't want to suffer. They don't want to be limited anymore by their experience of life. So pain is inevitable and suffering's optional. 
Yes. Help us understand that a bit. That's It's a great question. I, if I were to put it just really simplistic, it's we've all stubbed our toe, right? When you stub your toe, it's, it's the worst thing in the world, by the way. So <laughs> you stub your toe. It's like the world is over. Life is over. For a couple of minutes, it's like the end is here. There's nothing we can do. So for a couple of minutes, like I'm debilitated. I'm, you know, I have to sit down. Just excruciating pain. But that doesn't last. What's interesting about pain is it comes and it goes. It's, a, it's like a wave. It, it's not perpetual. So it naturally, after a couple of minutes, the pain begins to dissipate. And then, you know, you can start thinking about dinner and your wife or husband or, you know, whatever. You're like, oh, okay, people exist again. The world's here. It's everything's like, okay. But that, that doesn't take very long to start to come back to reality. That's not suffering. That's just pain. That's how pain is. Suffering's a bit different, however. So let's say you stub your toe. It hurts. And then I start with the narrative. There's a narrative that kicks in. I suck. Life. You know what? This is the story of my life. I can't even walk across the floor without stubbing my toe. I'm such a klutz. This is how things always go for me. This is, this is what you can expect in life. And so that's a narrative. That's a very simplistic way to put it. But that narrative, that is painful. But it's more than pain. It's actually what I would call suffering because the narrative is not attached. The, the pain was the trigger for the narrative, but it is not the source of the pain it's, or, or the suffering. The suffering is from the narrative. The narrative that is something, it, it's a perpetuation of a, an accusation against my being in some way, shape, or form. And when there's an accusation against the being that we're entertaining, there's no getting out of that. That is just a dark hole and it just sucks you in. That's a very simplistic example here, but that's kind of the difference between pain and suffering. I hope that makes mm-hmm. sense. So then is the narrative how you build a mindset? Yeah, the, the narrative is a part of your mindset. Okay. It's part of the programming. So we're all programmed. Everybody's been programmed. It's just how it works. It starts with our mom and dad. When we're born into a family, we inherit or we're affected first and foremost by their programming. So then we begin to see ourself and the world around us through their lens becomes part of our unconscious programming. And then of course we have experiences throughout life, things that we've experienced in relationships, traumas, different things that have happened, belief systems, religious beliefs, different things that contribute to our programming at the unconscious level. All that contributes to the narrative to some degree. Some narratives I would say work better than others. Narratives that align with what I would call truth work better. (laughs) Narratives that don't, they don't work so well. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Now you mentioned trauma. Is that something that you would say you have an expertise in and experience in? And how do you even approach such a thing? Well, I would say as far as expertise goes, it depends on how you define that. My understanding of expertise is really more experience. So I'm an expert at what I've experienced. I think we all are. We're experts at our life. What we've experienced, we can say, oh yeah, I know about that because I've experienced it. I I would say that I have learned some things that have worked for me to heal from trauma. Through experience, I've able to help others adopt some principles or adopt some techniques that will lead to releasing trauma from their body and mind. So yes, we totally do that. There's way there's a lot of different ways to go about that, but basically trauma in my understanding is stored at the level of body. I'm not just talking about our physical body. Trauma does get stored in the physical body, it's energy. It also gets stored in uh, the mind. The body is comprised of what I would consider three parts, physical, mental, and energy. Physical body, mental body, energy body. 
really what we talk about, the body is simply a record. So what is a record? It's a recording of the past. That's all it is. The physical body is literally, it's a record of what we've eaten throughout our life. Food gets metabolized and it compiles into your physical body. Your mental body is just the things that you've experienced and believed, perceptions along the way. And then your energy body are more subtler forms of memory from the past that you've inherited from your own life and also previous generations. So all of those things are recorded in the physical, mental, and energy bodies. And so to help people release, my experience with that is to go beyond it because you can release some of that energy at the physical, mental, and also energy bodies, but to truly heal from it, you have to actually transcend it through learning how to actually experience our own being. Most people think that we are our body or our mind. We're neither. We're not the body. We're not the mind. Those are tools we have, but it's not who we are. So who we are actually transcends that. So as we begin to experience the level of being that transcends the body and the mind, then we can actually heal because that's where health is. That's where life is. Mm -hmm. In getting to this part of self that you are coaching people through, how do you start their conversations with themselves? Like, Like if you're coaching me, how would you coach someone to re-speak to themselves. Going back to that narrative you said, like I stubbed my toes, I came across a room. This is about me. How would you shift that conversation inside their own head? That's a great question. Let's say somebody becomes aware that they have a negative self-talk. There's a narrative that kicks in, right? So the narrative is, I suck, I'm bad, whatever. There's feelings of sadness and anger and all these things that may come up with that. Transformation happens really two ways in my understanding. One way is through awareness or attention. There's another way to say awareness, attention, just becoming aware. If you don't know what's happening at some level, then you can't really address it. So you kind of have to become aware of, oh, okay. It's kind of like a fish in water. If you wanted to find out what the fish's perception of water is, you would ask the fish and say, you could talk to a fish. (laughs) hypothetically here. And you can say, Hey, how's the water today? A fish would probably say like, what's that? Cause they just don't see it because you're in it. So what we do in coaching, first part of coaching is to kind of take the fish out of the water, so to speak, and say, let's look at this whole thing. Let's just look at it, observe it. Let's look at the narrative. Okay. So we have some negative self-talk going on and you're feeling certain things. And typically what people are doing is they know that they're in negative self-talk. Most people are pretty intelligent. They can go, you know what? I shouldn't be saying this. This is not actually helpful, but that doesn't change anything. You still say it. What's happening is there's judgment. Not only are we feeling sad or feeling Mm -hmm. angry, we're judging ourselves for feeling it. None of that is helpful. None of that leads to any kind of improvement. Oh yeah. Guilty. (laughs) So what we do with coaching is first thing is we want to become hyper aware without judgment. So we want to reduce judgment because judgment is a resistance to life, which is causing suffering, by the way. I don't think life causes suffering. I think life is the solution to suffering. What causes us to resist life is judgment of all forms. You feel like a loser. You feel like you can't do anything right. Okay. That's not right or wrong. We're not going to punish you for feeling that. It's okay. That's how you feel. How you feel is always valid. It's how you feel. We just observe it. But we want to become aware at the level of attention. Where did this come from? This is a script. This is a narrative. And it does come from somewhere. Mm. This is where we want to start looking into the record a little bit. Let's start looking at the record. Where did this come from? How did this develop? And we get clear about where this narrative came from because it always comes from somewhere. And once we can get clear and present to that, simple awareness of that is a huge part of the healing process because then we know there's nothing wrong with us. We're just affected by a narrative that caused trauma. That's all. Once that awareness happens, it's really eye-opening. So that's attention. The second part of it is intention. 
Intention is how you change the narrative. It's literally how you write a new record. You know, if I was watching a movie and I didn't like it and I was the director, which by the way is true. We are all the directors of the film of our life that's being played out. Most people aren't aware of that, that we're the director. Well, if you're the director and the writer and you didn't like the script, we just rewrite the script. I know that sounds really simplistic, but it is possible. So attention's awareness of the narrative and intention is rewriting the narrative. That's a part of it. When you rewrite the script, is it so that you tell it to yourself differently? Is it all internal or is it something that's both internal and external? Well, the external always follows the internal. So I always like to start with the internal because the way I perceive the external world or even interact with the external world is simply a mirror of my internal perceptions. So what, what always starts at the internal level. So I always say, okay, we're, we're going to learn how to perceive the story a little bit differently, but where are we going to get the script? We don't just make it up. We actually get it from someplace. And I always say, we, you're going to get it from the all-knowing place, the place that knows the truth. Well, where's that? Well, it's within you. It's in your being. It's the level of being. So we're going to learn to tap into that so you could rewrite the narrative according to the truth of who you are. And then when there's coherence between your narrative and who you are, there's not conflict. Right now, there's just conflict. Their external narrative is totally out of alignment with the truth of their being. And there's just resistance going on. We want to reduce that resistance by bringing these two narratives into alignment with each other. And you can feel that. You can actually experience it at the level of being. And we always start with the internal. And then how we begin to express ourselves to other people about ourselves, about the world, about even other people is all a reflection of that narrative. Now, may I ask, is there just a common theme that you wrestle with, with a lot of your clients that could be helpful for our audience as like a internal wrestling that you're like, oh, I just wish I could get my clients to reshape this way that they talk to themselves. Mm -hmm. If there's one thing that I could help people understand, one of the things I always tell people is that you're not broken. There's nothing wrong with you, which sounds crazy because they're coming to coaching because they're like, look, I, my life, I feel stuck or I, something's not happening the way I want it to happen or I'm experiencing suffering. First thing is that whatever the problem is that you're experiencing is not actually a problem. I work with a lot of people who have anxiety that struggle with chronic anxiety. And one of the first things people say is I hate it. This is debilitating. It's crippling. I, I don't know how to move forward. And I always say, well, so what, do you, what would you like to experience out of coaching? And they'll say, well, I want to get rid of this damn anxiety. This is, this is horrible. And I'm like, okay, well, first we have to change the narrative about anxiety because they're judging anxiety. They're battling it as an enemy to be opposed when in reality, anxiety is their best friend. I know that sounds really crazy. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> we want to befriend it because it's a conversation that your physiology is, your body is literally screaming, saying, I need some attention here. So that's exactly what we want to do. Let's talk. <laughs> anxiety is a, your body's attempt to have a conversation. It's not the conversation that's causing the anxiety. It's the inability to have it. Usually because I'm judging myself because I feel like if I go into this pain, it will overtake me or I don't want to feel this way. So let me try to escape it. So people adapt patterns of coping, like either substance abuse or busyness or whatever to try to numb or distract that pain. But really the reality is we need to go into it. In order to do that, it has to become a welcomed conversation. And that's hard to do when we've spent many years demonizing the symptoms. So it sounds like trading comfort for growth right there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, totally. In a big way. Totally. What I'm hearing is the importance of the conversation within us and what we're saying to ourselves about ourselves. 
that internal dialogue and how vital that is to our external life and happiness. I, I would totally agree with that. Yeah. The internal dialogue is everything. I appreciate you helping us understand that and work on ways to improve our internal dialogue. Of course. I'm a big fan of your work. I feel like you often speak in these I would even say like a meme, you'll say something kind of shocking. And then people are like, wait, what? What did he just say? Even I've just heard you say a few of them today. And then you kind of unravel it for us and help us understand the truth behind it. One of my favorites from you is karma isn't a bitch, it's a mirror. <laughs> and I brought that up in one of our episodes. Would you um, mm. share a little bit about what you were talking about there? Yes, we've all heard the meme that yeah, karma is a bitch or whatever, but it's really not. Karma is really not bad or good. Karma is simply physics. It is every action has an equal and opposite reaction. My understanding of karma is that it's a record. Your body and your mind and your energy is a record. So think about a physical vinyl record. So what is it? It's so it's so fascinating, the technology of it. It is just a sound wave. So you take a band, you go into a studio and you record, let's say you're a musician, you lay down some tracks and they record the tracks. Well, they actually take these sound waves and have figured out how to carve, <laughs> take these sound waves and literally carve them physically into a piece of vinyl, which is so fascinating. And it's interesting. They call it a record like from the past. So you're taking the sound wave. It's a record of what happened carving it physically into the vinyl so that when you put the needle on the record, it plays that sound wave. And then we hear it and go, Oh, I hear music. It's playing. Sounds like it's present, but it's the past. It's just the past. All we're doing is playing the past. So there's a record going on a physical at the physical le body level, mental body, energy body. And it is literally a record of the past. What you're seeing play out is the music, whatever that narrative is. But sometimes it's, positive narratives that we like, like love and joy and abundance and whatever else there may be. And sometimes it's, it's just nothing goes right. I lose. People leave me. Suffering typically happens in patterns. And people ask all the time, why does this happen to me all the time? Why do I find the worst people and get into relationships with them? Well, it's just a record. This is the records playing. And when you play the record, you're not going to hear a different song than what's carved into the record. It's like trying to put on a record and think you're going to hear something different. No, you're only, only going to hear what's on the record. Karma is just a mirror. What you're seeing play out here in your life is a mirror of that record. So if we don't like it, we shouldn't blame karma. We just take the needle off the record. So we stop playing it. And then we start to carve a new record into new vinyl. Mm -hmm. So what we believe about ourselves and what we've experienced will often repeat itself in life then, unless we change our record. Yes, that's all it can do. So here's the thing, the more you engage in the thoughts and then the actions from the record, what happens is like taking a little, little rock. And if you throw a little rock into a pond, a body of water, what happens? Little ripples, right? And it's going to circle and come right back to us, which is what we call karma. Sowing and reaping in the Bible, it talks about sowing and reaping, different language, same concept, this idea, farming. If you sow seeds, you'll get, that's the crop that will come. Every time we engage a thought and dwell on it. Mm -hmm engage in some self-talk. Every time we react to the record, we are literally sending out the waves and we're actually, it's like the needle. Every time the needle goes into the vinyl, what happens? That groove gets a little bit more defined and gets deeper. And then the record gets clearer and it gets louder. <laughs> we can hear it even more. It's like, oh, the more I play the record, the more the grooves are getting defined. To take the needle off the record is to observe the thought process. Just observe it. Because if you observe it, you would never engage in it, by the way. 
You would never engage in it if you could see it. <laughs> it's only an unconsciousness that we do it because we don't see it. So we're going to learn to observe it. We stop engaging in it. And then the actions will cease once you stop engaging in the narrative, which then is literally taking the needle off the record. That's half of it. It's not everything, but it's a part of it. Okay. So I have this friend <laughs> and she would like to know, what about when that, that sensation of taking the needle off in life? Mm. and there's like a there's there's like a hesitation of like well if i rewrite a new song if you will if i rewrite a new story but what if i fail mm. so i might ask the question what does it mean to fail what would your friend say what, what would failure be <laughs> yeah whatever it's me <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we have other friends out there that feel the same way. <laughs> we do. Um, you're asking, what is the definition of failure? Yeah, for you, how what would be failure? Giving your best and, in your mind, not amounting to whatever that greatness is. Maybe the dissolution of a relationship or the not making the magnitude of the career you had in mind or not passing certain something like a, a, an exam or I don't know. Let's say you give your best to this person. I am going to be all in, in this relationship. I'm going to love this person with everything I have. Okay. And let's say that for whatever reason, they don't appreciate it or honor it or value it the way you think they should. That would be failure, failure, right? It feels like it. It could feel like it. Yeah. Feels like it. Okay. So it's felt like it before for me. And me too. I've totally been there. And so the, the idea is then I would feel what? Let's say the other person just is like, let me bail. Let me just, I don't even appreciate it. I'm out. Then what would you feel? Mm, I think it initially, like you were all in for nothing. It's a waste of time, right? Which would mean what? If you wasted your time? Yeah. If they say you wasted 10 years on a relationship, what would that mean? Just like you were stopped. It was trash. <laughs> yeah. I wasted my life. There could be a narrative. I'm a failure. Right. I just, uh -huh. you could do that for a career as well. I wasted all this time. I gave my best years to this company. Nothing yeah. came to nothing. So now I am insignificant. Mm -hmm. It's a narrative, by the way. Oh yeah. That, that's a story that makes complete sense to me. That is a narrative, which the narrative says I'm really not significant. This is unconscious, by the way. And then we're trying to disprove that narrative or we're trying to prove a narrative that I am significant, that I am loved. So if you're trying to prove a narrative that I am significant, that I am loved, to be loved and to be significant, these are infinite qualities. They're infinite in nature. You are loved. You are significant. But if you don't know that at the level of experience, this is not intellectual. I'm talking about the level of experience. If you do not experience yourself as love and as significant, then what you will do by default is you will outsource your sense of significance or love to something external and finite. And here's the problem with that. The reason that's a problem is because nothing finite could ever get you to infinity. So if I'm seeking significance or the feeling of being loved or known or worthy or enough or whatever it is through finite things, meaning through things that could end, then that infinite sensation or knowing of myself is always going to fail because it's, you can't seek something infinite in finite things. 
100%. Exactly. That's well said. And to feel loved and significant, which are infinite states of being, the thing you're seeking to feel it through, the finite thing becomes your prison because it can never deliver. And now you become that becomes a source of angst. So for, think about it for a moment. You want to feel loved. So you get into a relationship. Initially, they make you, they, they do some things, you feel loved. But because it's, that's an infinite state of being and they are finite, it doesn't take long before you begin to feel that this person is not cutting it. And now I cannot experience the infinite nature of being loved because this person doesn't get their act together. They're not doing blah, 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 blah. And now I'm a slave to that person or that situation because it can't deliver. Now it becomes my prison. I'm trapped by it. So what we're actually after is the infinite. So I always say this, if the relationship or the job is a means to an end, we don't actually need the means to get to the end. <laughs> I'm not saying get rid of the, the job or the, I'm saying go right to the end. Experience the end first, because when you can start experiencing the end, meaning I'm loved, I'm significant. These, these are high infinite states of being, which are true to your nature. When you start to experientially tap into those states, to feel loved, is a, it's an incredible gift. To feel significant is an incredible gift. When you bring that state to a relationship, when you bring that state to a job, it's not a prison. It's an expression. It's an outlet. It's a, it's a, it's a vehicle for expression and it, but nothing is dependent. You're not depending on that, that relationship or that job to give you any infinite state of love or significance. You are that. And you begin to experience that from the level of your being. Now the relationship becomes a source of joy. It's a receptacle. You can now give That's rich. That's very rich. And they can't torture you because <laughs> they can't take anything from you. The work is inward. Yes. Yeah, this is a huge topic. The concept of how we dialogue or communicate within ourselves and how we are in relationship with people that talk to themselves so differently. I think of people in my life I know like are really hard on themselves or I think of other people that I know they're, they're kind to themselves. It's interesting being in the presence of different types of people like that. Can I ask a little bit of a lighthearted question? Oh, sure, please. What is something you love about coaching? Yes, I love it when my clients leave, when they say, hey, I don't want to do coaching anymore. <laughs> and the reason for that is twofold. Number one, because that's, that's the point. So I always say that coaching is really, it's to show people, it's kind of like, I had a friend one time, he said, it's like I pickpocket people. I, I reach in their pocket and I show them the money they have. Hmm. Yeah, they are the bank. They just didn't know transformation always happens within it never happens outside of them. Coaching is like the wild west. <laughs> How I approach the, the practice of coaching to me is just to be a dispeller of darkness. That's all it is. I want to dispel unawareness, darkness. I mean, unawareness. I just want to bring some clarity and awareness to a situation or a person about who they are. I like that you just, you literally just packaged like a perfect, delicious sandwich. <laughs> what transformation is, which is awareness and attention and intention into, and then you said what you love about coaching is, is like taking out the opposite of that, whatever that darkness is, which is into awareness. Tasted, it tasted good the way you said it. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. That's the heart of it. So when somebody realizes they go, oh, you know, I think I got it. I think I have the tools to be able to tap into what I would call the true self and then be able to know what to do when difficult emotion situations rise. I saw this quote and it really resonated. 
When the student is ready, the teacher appears. And then when the student is really ready, the teacher disappears. I love that because it's good for the student and it's good for the teacher. Talk doc, do you resonate with that? Absolutely. I like that. I have not heard that quote. I think that you have to have a sense of being loved and significant and have that worked out to be in that equation successfully. Yes. If you believe your students are there to fulfill your love or your significance, then you've mixed up the equation and you will have a disappointing experience, large or small. (laughs) Isn't that the truth? That is so well said. Let me ask you a couple of quick questions that I'm sure our audience would like to know. So if they are interested in your work, is it jamaljavanji.com? Yeah, that's exactly right. Okay. If that's the website, they okay. can just go there. And- All right. And you have a book that you have written. Yes. So the book is called Living for a Living, published by Choir. One of the things that have caused a lot of people suffering in life is that people are living for survival. And I just feel like life is so important that we should not live for survival, but that we should live for a living. And so the idea of living for a living is shifting our motivation for the work that we do in the world from survival to actually life. A lot of it is my own journey of how I moved from what I call one economy of existence of surviving versus into an economy of the work that I do being for because it's me, because it's my mm-hmm. life versus survival, if that makes sense. So okay. it's, a, it's a question that a lot of people have. And so I want the, wrote the books to be a, a source of uh, direction for folks. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for being here with us. Of course. We appreciate your time. And you had a lot of big things to say. So we're excited to share that with our listeners. Thank you. Thank you guys for hosting these important conversations and just including me in it. I'm honored and love what you guys are doing. And you're not just the first male, you're the first grandpa also. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. <laughs> I am sure you will have a lot of wisdom to share with those grandkids. Well, thanks for being with us today and for helping us understand ways to reduce judgment and suffering. To our audience, thank you for joining us. And please remember to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. And thank you for listening to Asking for a Friend. Let us know what you thought of the episode. Our email is hello at afafpodcast.com. This show is for educational purposes only and is copyrighted. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting. Thanks for listening to Asking for a Friend with Talk Talk.